Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333 103 and texts and WhatsApps welcomed to 0862 103 103. Actually, Cathy McCroom has sent in a text uh, wondering, is anybody else in the McCroom area, anybody else having problems with their internet uh, Cathy says hers has been going on and off for the last three days and it's gone again today. And I just don't know, Cathy, who your internet provider is. So if you want to let us know who your internet provider is and we can see if there's some kind of an outage in the area. But anybody else in the McCroom area having difficulty over the last three days with your internet, can you let us know, please? We are going to be discussing the cyber attacks on the HSE on the programme this morning. And we actually had an email in to Patricia at C103 3.ie and I'm wondering did many others get affected by this and this is to do with cancellation of appointments. Hi Patricia, I'm writing in relation to the hospital appointments I understand that it's totally unexpected and unfortunate what has happened. However, I feel there's a lot of misleading information. My mum had an appointment at the hospital on Monday. The information that had been given was to attend the hospital unless you received a phone call from the hospital cancelling same. Now, we rang the hospital. Obviously, the phone was very busy, so we couldn't get through. My mum went to the hospital as she was simply afraid of missing her appointment. Upon arrival at the hospital, she was notified all appointments were cancelled. My mum had no problem with it being cancelled under the circumstances, but surely a phone call from the hospital would have been appreciated, or at least a clear message on social media or a notice on local radio stations would also have helped. It is unfortunate circumstances, but it's not nice for people making unnecessary journeys, especially when we're just coming out of lockdown. Thanks for reading out my email, but please don't mention my details as I think my mum would be embarrassed she also will be afraid that she will lose her appointment entirely. Yeah, that's very unfortunate because I know yesterday we were calling out statements from the different hospitals and that was very much the message that if you had an appointment and if you heard from the hospital that it was to be cancelled, fine. If not, if you didn't hear, you were to turn up. Now, obviously, they weren't able to get through to everyone. I also, as with that email, did hear from people who were trying to ring the hospitals, but obviously there must have been so many calls calls going through to the hospitals yesterday. So that is a bit unfortunate. Did many others turn up for an appointment that then got uh, cancelled? But you know something, your mam was right because if you've waited a long time for an appointment I, I would have shown up as well even though would have been hugely disappointed then to have been turned away and please God it'll be sooner rather than later they'll re 
reschedule that appointment date. I had a friend of mine who was travelling from Tipperary needed to, is coming to Cork for a procedure later on this week and I was talking to her the, uh, on Sunday night and she was saying she think it's going to be cancelled and she was due to come yesterday for you know a COVID test in advance of having this procedure done later on in the week and she said she hadn't heard anything she was having problems getting through to the hospital and I said but if you haven't heard anything then I think show up and she did show up and she did have the COVID test done so uh, her procedure obviously is going through but they, and they've done their best to try to contact people when an appointment gets cancelled but obviously they're not able to get through to everyone and I the Cork University Maternity Hospital they've sent us on a press statement this morning uh, to say because of the ongoing cyber attacks the management at CUMH wish to advise wish to advise that gynae clinics have been cancelled for this week and that's for all of this week because initially gynae clinics were cancelled for yesterday and today but the now management have made the decision to cancel them for the rest of the week. Online classes have also been cancelled until further notice. Now the emergency department remains open and phone call bookings are going ahead. This is at the CUMH. Inductions of labour, C-sections, gynaecological elective operations, antenatal, physiotherapy and neonatal outpatient departments they're all going ahead this week so if you have an appointment there you still attend but they do warn that delays are likely as a result of the current IT situation. Hospital management are obviously apologising for any inconvenience but they do wish to reassure the public that patients at CUMH are receiving the appropriate care but they are cancelling all of the gynae clinics for this week. And specialist Gardaí are now Trawling through the dark web, they're trying to determine if any sensitive patient data stolen from the HSE has been leaked to the dark web. It comes after redacted files appeared online, which claims that they were leaked by the hackers. And this is to prove to the Irish government that they have accessed very sensitive data. Now, it included some patient files and included documents linked to business transactions. Government sources say last night it was likely that the material did come from the HSE IT systems. However, this has not been confirmed and it is not uncommon for gangs to use false information to force the victims, in this stage it's the Irish government, into action to pay up the uh, ransom. Ministers have been advised to remain calm and measured to ensure that they don't give the impression to the criminals involved in the hack that they're panicking in any way because if we're seen to be panicking you can be darn sure that that ransom will go even higher. The government yesterday warned that there was a risk that the medical and other data of patients could be abused. Any public release by the criminals behind this attack of any stolen patient data is equally and utterly contemptible. A statement from the government said last night, anyone who is affected is urged to contact the HSE and the Gardaí authorities immediately. The statement said that the ransomware attack was a despicable crime as it targeted critical health infrastructure and and sensitive data, patient data. I, I just think the very fact that any criminals could target health infrastructure, just the mind boggles because there are patients in need of cancer treatment who will not be receiving that treatment. I mean, there's a possibility if they don't get this sorted soon, people could die because of what these criminals are up to. They really haven't got 
a moral in their body. It's a Russian based crime group. Well, they're the main suspects of carrying out the cyber attack. They shut down the health service and now have demanded this ransom. The hackers are known as Wizard Spider and they use specific sites on the dark net to dump data in incidents where the extortion demands are not uh, met. And obviously now hospitals all over the country, including our own here in Cork, are preparing for weeks of disruption from the cyber uh, attack. And it seems it literally has left staff physically running around the hospital with paper charts trying to replace the compromised IT system. Thousands of hospital treatments have now been put in at jeopardy. X-rays can only be read within the radiology department and then there's a team of runners who take the results around the hospital. Clerical staff have to phone families as obviously all the email updates they now can no longer be sent. Scientists at all of our hospital laboratories, they rely on IT to receive and share tests within the hospital and indeed out to the GPs outside of the hospitals. I mean, a medical laboratory scientist uh, was talking in one of the papers today and he said he found himself doing sums on a piece of paper at half four in the morning yesterday. He said it really is back to basics. And a particular challenge is assembling the urgency of patient results, which would normally be compared with previous results. But of course, they've no access to the previous results because the previous results are in the computer system that they're now locked uh, out of. So now they're having to try and do phone calls. They're trying to get onto doctors to try to get context about with previous test uh, results. Laboratories, it seems, have doubled the staff on duty, but I'm told that that's simply not sustainable. Cancer care, that's been heavily affected and it is mainly due to the lack of access to previous reports. Chemotherapy, for example, that is going ahead, but there's limited access to the blood results just to make sure that all the chemotherapy treatment is safe. And then any patient who got discharged from hospital yesterday was given a letter to deliver to their GP. And that used to be the good old fashioned way. Remember that when you got discharged from a hospital, you couldn't leave until you got your discharge letter that you then brought to your GP. That seemingly has been, tell you how long ago since I was in, the last time I was in the hospital I was handed a letter. Anyway, I'll tell you how long ago, thank God, that I've been a patient in a hospital. But seemingly now what they do is as soon as you get discharged, all the information then is emailed sent electronically through to your GP but obviously that wasn't happening yesterday and Cork GP Nulo Connor, she's quoted in the papers today as saying patients can't get blood results from laboratories and she says prescriptions are still going through to the pharmacies they're okay on that one but she said it will only be absolute urgent tests that GPs are now being asked to send to the laboratories they can process the urgent laboratory tests but then they have to phone back the results so obviously there's a delay in all of that and you can see why they've doubled the amount of uh, staff and I know GPs were told not to send bloods to only send urgent bloods and obviously there's the reason they can do the work that needs to be done but then it's getting the results from the blood test. They have to physically pick up the phone and try to speak to the doctor or or speak to somebody in the doctor's practice. Now thankfully the vaccination appointments and registration for vaccinations that's all going ahead as uh, normal and uh, people are asked to continue registering and that it is very safe but it's a completely different IT system. Thanks be to God. And a HSC spokesman said hospitals are working to get priority systems back online, including radiology and diagnostic systems, 
maternity, infant care, patient admin systems and radiation oncology because I know radiation oncology has been affected and that's there's been some heartbreaking stories on a lot of social media and even some of the papers today talking to people who you know need to get their radiation they're getting at the end of their radiation people psyching themselves up for cancer treatment and then to get a phone call to say it has been cancelled it, it really is heartbreaking as I say we will speak with an expert in cyber security and, and how we can all uh, protect ourselves from attacks uh, like this. Our lines are open at 1850 at 333-103. Dan, by text saying, I live in Kilmichael. Hi, my internet is down for the third day too. I'm with three. Now, I don't know who Cathy is with and I don't know if it's just a problem with three or not. But Dan also says, similar to what Cathy McCroom is saying, so I'm wondering if Cathy is with three as well. I've just seen a, a breaking news story coming out of New Zealand that they have had one of their health boards has had a major cyber attack and their entire IT system is uh, down. Uh, it's looking like cyber criminals are going doing the rounds in different countries and attacking health systems which is um, just shocking, absolutely shocking. Now, reports in the traffic, it remains slow heading to Cork City from Mallow. That was due to a collision earlier this morning on the city side of Rathdorf, so you can prepare for delays there. And yesterday, of course, was the first day back for uh, shopping. All of the newspapers today carrying photographs. A lot of people out spending money yesterday, but they reckon that there is a lot of money in savings because people haven't been able to spend. I know shopping on Online has been there, but everybody does not everybody likes shopping online. And I think at one stage, shopping online was a bit of a novelty, and then it kind of the novelty wore off because there's nothing like walking into a shop, physically touching something, and looking at something, and, and even just going into a shop and not quite knowing what you want, and then seeing something. It's very, I think it's a very different experience to shopping online. So I think there was there's this pent up urgency I think of people to get out and a lot of people certainly headed out at yesterday and pictures in all of the papers and as we mentioned yesterday we wish the very best of luck to all of the shops that did reopen yesterday and all of the workers who returned to work. Emma said Yesterday, as I returned to work for the first time since last November, I thought, like everybody else, that the pandemic and the lockdowns would have changed uh, people. We're hearing that people want and enjoyed the slower pace of life during lockdown. But yesterday morning and again this morning, traffic extremely busy. And I noticed people seemed to be rushing as usual, people rushing in and out of shops, etc. My fear is that when the bars open, they'll be jam-packed like before. While we hear about this new norm, I don't think there will be as people will have forgotten about the pandemic and just continue as normal the rushing and uh, the racing there was an example of it yesterday and I ask for what everybody just needs to slow down a little bit and then Pat said he was a bit disappointed to see that some of the shops that opened yesterday in his own hometown only four shops had welcome back signs or balloons outside the store to welcome people uh, back more of an effort should have been made I do thank the shops that went to the effort yesterday to welcome back their, their customers. You know, Pat, it's, it's lovely that people went to the effort, but I'm very slow to criticise any retailer that opened yesterday. They have had such a tough 
tough few months and financially uh, they are really on the back foot I think just to get their doors opened the shops dusted and ready and welcome people in that's certainly enough for me there seems to be other people having problems with phones and broadband that we kicked off the programme with with those that call in earlier from Cathy in um, McCroom Derry is in Knocknagree and he's having a problem with no Vodafone coverage in he says in the Knocknagree area for the last three weeks he said once you drive to Rathmore you can get coverage for the phone and the internet but he said when you're in Knocknagree in your own house you have no coverage uh, he said we've contacted local politicians to see if anything can be done and he says Clear Mobile also have the same uh, issue it seems to be some kind of a um, uh, mobile black spot does it not now we've contacted Vodafone who are looking into us and will let us uh, know uh, Vodafone own Clear Mobile so it's one and the same that we have contacted so we will update you if we hear anything on that 1850-333-103 lines open Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie now a survey launched this week by Laura Lynn which is Ireland's Children's Hospice finds parents caring for children with life-limiting conditions are totally exhausted, isolated and worried as a result of caring during the pandemic. Joining me from Laura Lynn, their CEO, Kerry McLafferty. Good morning to you, Kerry. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Because of the nature of lockdowns, did many of the parents feel more isolated than they normally would? Absolutely. Um, You know, I suppose typically we we know that a lot of our families generally do feel this sense of isolation when they have a child with a life-limiting condition. Um, And and chatting to some of our families pre-pandemic and then chatting to them during the pandemic, we've definitely seen uh, and and found from our survey, uh, over 96% actually uh, of our survey respondents came back saying that they felt more isolated, which is quite staggering in that, you know, cocooning, whilst it's very new to, to us in the last 12 months, but cocooning essentially is what many of our families do on a day-to-day basis. And, and one parent, I remember her, her saying to me, she said, you know what, it's actually like society now get to experience a little bit of what life is like for us all of the time, which mm. is, is quite a, you know, an insight. It makes you really think about the, these families who have to be so careful with such a vulnerable child that, you know, they're constantly aware of things like infection control and who they let in and out of their house and exposing their child to 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 various illnesses so you know it, it's it's that feeling of having to really you know seclude yourself in order to maintain that safety and that stress and anxiety and fear are all those uh, those feelings that our families are feeling at a, at a heightened level during this pandemic but suddenly during lockdown people who normally would have been coming into their houses I mean I'm thinking like uh, granny or granddad or an aunt or an uncle a family member who would come and offer some support suddenly there was periods of time where they weren't even able to visit Absolutely and you know there, there's the family support which is so vital to, to lots of our families but then on top of that you have the typical supports that they would have been getting from, from healthcare agencies so their their nurses calling into the house and their therapy appointments, schools being closed so they don't even have that kind of respite break if their child is attending uh, a service so all of those supports are suddenly all gone at once and so there's that real sense of um, you know just that, that, that anxiety 
and exhaustion results from it because essentially the parents now are faced with having to be 24-hour carers because remember most of these children require round-the-clock care and support so uh, the exhaustion side of it has really been um, what we've seen a result of that so from Laura Lynn's perspective you know we're so conscious of the fact that uh, these families really need our support almost more than ever. Mm. Do they also live in constant fear of contracting COVID themselves? Absolutely. Um, I was chatting to one of our families actually yesterday um, and both him and his wife, mum and dad, are both healthcare workers themselves um, working in a, in a disability service. And so, you know, for, for them, they have that fear about going into another setting. And I know that's probably an isolated case in, in that specific instance. But, you know, especially those with other siblings as well, as they go back to school, the fear that a sibling might contract it in school, bring it back into the house. And so for us, uh, what what we were hearing from families is that, you know, the, the cocooning piece, they weren't even sending siblings back to school. Mum and dad were off work, um, you know, not, not really going outside of the house at all for fear of exposing their child to the condition, to, to, to the virus. And we know even what we've been hearing as well through our survey is that families don't intend on coming out, even as, as we're seeing restrictions loosening uh, and people venturing out a little bit more now. Uh, we know that uh, a lot of our families are going to continue to, uh, to cocoon long after the restrictions have, have lifted until we're well past the, the vaccination phase. Oh, so this isn't, that is tough. Yeah. That is tough. And I know over the last year of the pandemic, uh, we've spoken many uh, times to different carers. And the big fear with carers of getting COVID themselves is if they got very sick and God forbid needed to be hospitalised or even just needed to isolate, Mm -hmm. who's going to look after, in your case, those little children? Exactly. And that's why I suppose one of one of the main elements of what we offer at Laura Lynn and it's what we've continued to provide was some of our services were curtailed a little bit during the pandemic for trying to maintain the the health and safety protocols. One of the things that we made sure that we did continue to provide and still do provide um, is what we call crisis care. And it's exactly that. So if at any stage a parent um, or a carer becomes unwell at short notice or has to be hospitalised or for any reason becomes incapacitated, capacitated and can't provide care we offer um, at very short notice what we call crisis care where the child comes in and um, it's almost like a, an emergency response to, to a crisis situation like that well so we've, been, we've been offering that to families and, and we've been considering exhaustion as, as a crisis essentially because it, it, it's important for, for parents to get that respite, to get that break so they can recharge their batteries and so we've, that's what we've continued to provide and um, we've been prioritising in fact during the pandemic crisis and, and obviously end of life care continues as well. And I take it your normal respite service that you offer, that would have all been curtailed, would it? Yeah, so we, we, we had to look at, I suppose, what were the priorities for us? So, you know, we, when, we, when the pandemic hit, um, initially, obviously, the first thing was to make sure that we implemented um, safety protocols to make sure that our families were going to be safe, our staff, our volunteers, etc. Um, but after that, it was how can, we, uh, how can we look at what services we provide that we know families are going to need more than ever. So respite was one of the things that we initially did have to, to pull back on. Um, but Christ, it was offered, I suppose, through crisis, if you like. Um, but then as we um, as we kept kind of an eye and things loosened up a little bit, we we looked at um, our our eight bedded unit, but kind of if you like 
restricting it so that we can maintain social distancing. So we have four beds that are that are available, um, so we can still maintain a level of activity and and allow families to, to keep coming in. But um, obviously at a slightly reduced capacity, if you like. Well done, well done for even continuing it because most respite services that we've heard of simply closed and that's it, and still haven't come back. And families yeah. are are really really desperate uh, for if, for that bit of respite. Uh, d- you did virtual supports. Yeah, and and this is this is actually for us been one of the real positives out of this this whole situation. Um, is you know one of the things coming back again from our survey is that uh, on the positive side by us creating a lot of our services. So aside from the respite side of things that we offer, we we do a lot of family support. So uh, that would be our play therapy or music therapy, uh, counselling from our psychologist. Uh, We were still doing symptom management and all of those would typically be be face-to-face sessions, but we were able to create what we called our first virtual hospice. um, And we brought all of those through Zoom into the homes of families. And so I suppose the positive out of that, and it's something that we will continue long after this pandemic uh, is behind us uh, because what we found is families who some of them you know, and, and, and from the Cork region in particular who you know the, the thought of, of packing up a child and all of the medical equipment and taking a couple of hours journey with, with a very fragile child we know that's, a, that's a, a difficulty for families trying to access our site in Dublin so by having supports available virtually we've actually been able to, to open up our services to families who otherwise wouldn't have been receiving them so for us that's been a real positive that we've been able to reach a little bit further afield with our services. Okay, and as you mentioned, the end of life care uh, continues. Uh, all bereavements are are difficult, but I think during the pandemic, when families and friends and that support group that rallies around people during a bereavement, mm. a lot of that was gone and has been gone. Yeah, and and from our perspective, you know, children particularly, we we have very strong links into the different children's hospi- hospitals. And we, um, in linking with our colleagues there, the restrictions that were imposed in the acute setting, um, we were able to to put other measures in place to to circumnavigate those a little bit, particularly at end of life, which you know we we were prioritising for our families. So uh, we had where in in hospital we had several cases where you know a, a child was born, and grandparents hadn't met the child, only mum or dad was able to to be with the child, um, visiting at any one time. There were strict visiting hours and um, they, they couldn't you know they couldn't be with their child 24 hours if they wanted to be so all of those really tight restrictions that had to be in place they were a necessary evil in the acute setting but we were able to to provide um, a service in Laura Lynn at end of life where you know we had access to our service where all of our bedrooms lead out they have an external doorway so we didn't have to worry about um, you know infection control we could, we could isolate areas if you like so we could allow grandparents parents, aunts, uncles, um, in a controlled manner to come in and, and be with the child. So really we could continue to support that whole family experience, which is so vital at end of life. Yeah, you do amazing work. You you really do. And fundraising, Kerry, I, I take it affected throughout the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's one of those things at the start of the pandemic. It's something that we were we were extremely worried about because typically, um, you know, the the big fundraising events for for us in Laurelin would be things like the women's mini marathon or our annual heroes ball or these kinds of kind of face to face events, which we knew were were now not going to be possible. So it was a real uh, fear for us about about the impact of the pandemic on fundraising. But thankfully, uh, from Laurelin's perspective, we had already done a lot of work in 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 the previous year or two 
around uh, investing in, in digital fundraising, so looking at Facebook and social media platforms to start challenges. So we had already done one or two, so thankfully we were able to move a lot of our fundraising into uh, into digital fundraising, if you like. Um, and so we've been really, really overwhelmed by the support of the Irish public, and, and thankfully we've been we've been able to continue our services. Um, so it's 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 been it's been different uh, a different way of fundraising if you like but uh, but we, we've been so grateful for the support that we've received and people really getting on board with the different challenges. Well done, well done, and people can continue uh, to support you. How can they help, Kerry? Absolutely. So uh, the best way is if you go onto our website. So go to www.lauralin.ie forward slash donate and there's lots of information there you can make a direct donation or you can sign up to be a, a monthly donor uh, and there's lots of different activities that our fundraising team will, will be able to uh, to advise you on okay this is great as always to talk uh, with you stay safe and thanks for joining us this morning thanks. thank you so much good bye morning bye. to you bye bye Kerry McLafferty there who is CEO of uh, Laura Lynn just one of those wonderful charities that you don't get to see a lot of because of the nature of the work providing palliative and hospice care and support for children with life-limiting uh, conditions and it's done very much quietly behind uh, closed doors but they really are just, they are a tremendous organisation. I have huge respect uh, for the gang at, at Laura Lynn so continue good luck to them. 1850 John Paul's taking your calls this morning. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 Court today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Hundreds of parents have kept their children at home following a spike in COVID-19 cases in schools in North Cork, which has led to the withdrawal of outdoor sports activities. A serious outbreak of the virus has been detected at Skullbreeds in Rathcormac, with the Board of Management confirming that seven classes are now affected. Noel McCarthy, who is a local Fine Gael councillor, has called for additional steps to be taken to prevent the virus from spreading in the area. Noel joins me. Good morning to you, Noel. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, listeners. And you're welcome. What's the feeling locally? Are people nervous about these spike in infections? They are, Patricia. Yeah, but it broke over the weekend. There was rumours about Rakomok and parents had let me know that they got um, texts to say that there was an outbreak. There was obviously there was concern. And then over the weekend, there was a moment that an outbreak in the and obviously Can you just move slightly your phone? Your the the phone oh, signal sorry, isn't Patricia. that's way better. Yeah, that's way better. You want to compliment the schools? I do. I want to compliment all the schools for the work they've done so far. I mean, principal, board, management, all the staff, and the steps they've taken so far, and and getting parents and pupils know the current situation. So I want to compliment all the schools on that, and I think the the right decision was made yesterday by the secondary schools in Formoy. Where St. Coleman's were, I met some of the pupils. They were doing their leaving stuff yesterday evening, and they were told by the uh, by the school that they could stay at home from today on before their leaving stuff. And I think that was a very wise decision. And I think Colossal and Savine and Loretta Convent are following the same suit. So I think they're good. Well, decisions. I think those leaving cert students in particular need to be protected, don't they? Because they've only got one shot at doing their leaving cert this year. There's no there's no chance to do uh, repeats later on. 
No, and, and I think that was a very wise decision. And, and the, I, as I said, I spoke to a few of the St. Cormac's pupils yesterday and they said, look, this was the right thing to do. They said, happy are starting at home before they come in for their June date for the leaving. And I think to keep them safe, as you said yourself, Patricia, is most important. And, and their families. So I think that was a very wise decision that the, that the schools t- took. And obviously I was calling for the HSE to do more and help the parents and the pupils to get tested if they needed to be, and so on. So I hope that would be fun. I, I, I have great confidence that it will, Patricia. Would you like to see a walk-in testing centre, as they've done in other areas? Yes, I would. Anything that would help them, and and if they could walk in, feel free to do it, and go in and, and put their minds at risk, because you, as you said yourself at the start, the worry and the concerns that parents have about their children has to be taken into consideration now, and the outbreak needs to be controlled in every way possible. And you and you can understand why some families, I know in particular Skullbreed, the school remains open, but according to the principal there, some families are deciding to keep their children at home. You can understand that nervousness. I can. I actually have a grandchild going to the school in Skullbreed. And again, I want to compliment the principal and the board of management, the staff again, as I say. And my daughter has told me she should get updates, texts all the time. Now she kept her, my grandchild at home yesterday. And most people are doing that, but they understand why. Just nervousness, of course, is the is the reason. But they've taken every step. My daughter has taught me to, to help the, the parents and the pupils to, to in every way with information. I think that's why. So they have done a good job on that. But there is a big worry about Cormac and surrounding areas. And do do you know, Noel? Are the cases amongst young people? Is it are is it is it spreading out to others? Spreading out to there's seven classes affected in I think in the Rackham, but I think yeah. the worry with the sport activities I suppose is when pupils go home and to their older siblings that might spread out from there, and that's why I think the sporting organisations have taken the decision maybe to suspend activities at the moment, which again is a good idea to maybe get under control, and maybe they might have to look at that in Samoy as well here now as well. Mm. I don't think the club have done it. Maybe other clubs are looking at it as well. Obviously, every, everybody needs to work together to contain this. Uh, yeah, there are there are a number of sporting activities have already been suspended. Isn't isn't that the case? I saw um, Bright Rovers GAA Club; they've suspended all activities. Grange Athletic Club in Formoy have suspended training for juveniles, while the GAA clubs in Watergrass Hill and Glenville have curtailed their activities. So, so people are doing everything that needs to be done to protect everybody locally. Yes, and I think, they again, they must be complimented for all the sporting clubs for what decision they made, because they know the seriousness of this. And maybe if they just take a break for a week or 10 days, things will hopefully will come back to normal then again, and they'll be back out playing again and, and training, which they, they love doing since they went back. So I think maybe for my as well, and some of the clubs for my are probably looking at it as well, and, and I know they will make the right decisions, because we all want to contain this and get back to normality as much as we can very soon. If it's just unfortunate about this outbreak that it happened, yeah. especially at the, the outbreak in the Rackhamwick area where there was a lot of cases. So hopefully we'll get her under control, Patricia. Just shows how contagious this virus is. My God, you're dead right, Patricia. You're thinking that is going away and you read all about the good news stories people opened up yesterday and last Monday week. But it's definitely out there and, it's, uh, and we have a lot of work ahead. Definitely a lot of and can I just compliment all the frontline staff again, Patricia? We, we can't thank them enough. Everyone working in the HSB and so on. They're doing a super job. And we, every opportunity we get, we should thank them because they're, 
without them will be lost. And on the vaccination front, we're doing so well on vaccinations. And I know when you do a breakdown on the number of COVID positive uh, cases, very, very few, say in the over 70s, because the majority of them now are fully vaccinated and thank God they're fully safe. Yes, and that's a great. And and I I think that's the answer to this disease. The more people we get vaccinated as fast as we can, we can definitely make people feel safer and protection is all but that's it all about so I think we have to roll out as fast as we can full vaccination to everyone that's the most important thing for sure okay, okay. Talking of places opening up were you out and about and from all yesterday was there a buzz around the town? I was I was downtown yesterday morning and yesterday afternoon and my gosh it was a great buzz yeah. great buzz it was great to see people there going in and out of shops doing their usual uh, you know it, it was so good to see and I think everyone was in better form. The atmosphere was really super for my town yesterday. So, like every other town, I'd say, super. Yeah. Great to see it. And, 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 we could, and hopefully now we can get our restaurants and our hotels and our pubs back following suit. So, it be all good news, hopefully, going forward. Yeah. And don't forget to support our local independent stores in particular. Yes, Patricia. They're the ones that really need it. They need it now. And they're so, uh, they're so happy to be back. I think if we all just think one step before we go any further, look after your own. And I think that everyone then is, it's jobs, it's, it's everything coming back to the community where you live. That's what it's all about. All right. Listen, stay safe, Noel, and thanks a million for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good Thank morning you. to you. But good morning. That is Councillor Noel McCarthy, uh, Fianna Gael Councillor in Fomoy. Actually, just on shopping locally, and I know I bang on about it all the time, but I really do see the importance of it. I was reading in one of the papers today that in nearly a third of Irish consumers, we feel guilty for shopping on Amazon and more than half of us want to reduce the amount of purchases that we make on the online giant uh, Amazon. Now, people will say uh, while they want to to limit what they spend, people will remain loyal to Amazon uh, because obviously they've got a price and speed of delivery as well. But it's interesting the amount of us that feel guilty when we do make those clicks and buy anything on the Amazon uh, website. 1850 333103. And thank you to Jer uh, emailing. Oh, this is from Jer. He's the chairperson, Jer McCarthy, chairperson of Clonakilty GAA, emailing Patricia at c103.ie. Says, Hi, Patricia. I've seen the HSE in Clonakilty on a daily basis. This is where the vaccination clinic is running in one of the clinics running in West Cork. Uh, I've seen them in action on a daily basis since they commenced the vaccination in our complex at the Clonakilty GAA and I have to say they are doing an outstanding job. They are so efficient, so helpful and given that many of these people are working flat out since mid-March of last year, they deserve huge credit. Best wishes and that's from Jer McCarthy, Chairperson of Clonakilty GAA. Well done everybody working there at the vaccine and indeed all of the vaccination centres. Anyone that goes to any vaccination centre will say to you just how efficient they are and how helpful uh, they are with rolling out the vaccine. So thank you Jer, for that to Patricia at c103.ie. In the next hour we're going to speak with a Cork based cyber security company talking to us about the cyber attack on the HSC and on the uh, Department of Health. That and you keep your call and comments coming uh, to the programme. We'll bring them to you all afternoons at 11. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
some of your comments coming in about the cyber attack on the HSC in the Department of Health. Liam Inbrough says this is what you get when you centralise all of the information into one system. Every Tom, Dick and Harry will access into what the state's information is if everything remains in a centralised system does that need to be uh, looked at while a listener says cyber attacks happen when somebody who may be bored are looking at their PC at work click on a link there you go educate staff do not click on links on emails especially that's from a West Cork listener and Tim says last night the former assistant commissioner of the Gardaí said our systems were centralised and may not have been protected as well as they might have been. This working from home, says Tim, is a novelty boasted by women in particular. Tim, men have worked from home and have enjoyed working from home. Anyway, uh, but I wonder, says Tim, if the more feeds make the centre open and therefore more vulnerable. Two calls would solve the ransom attempt. One to our favourite Irishman, President Joe Biden, and one from him to his Secret Service or to the CIA. I I don't know if it's as simple as that, uh, Tim, but I do know when you look at who's trying to fix the situation here, uh, we have looked to the US. It's the US cybersecurity company by the name of FireEye and the reason for that is we have what's called Ireland's National Cyber Security Centre but it's a small organisation it's a relatively scant resources there also isn't anybody in a leadership position because nobody wants to take up the job I think it's something to do with the wage is 85,000 and it's not deemed enough for that uh, position and it is not considered among IT security professionals to have the full expertise to deal with the incident response requirements so they realise as our National Cyber Security Centre that they're not up for the job. So we have looked to America and we have this US cyber security company or FireFi, FireEye uh, working on it at the moment. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. A child care practitioner. You need to have a level five FETAC or QQI qualification. That's wanted for the Mitchellstown area. A worker is wanted to work on overhead aircom lines. That's in the West Cork area. While groundworks foreman and general operatives are wanted. Again, that's also in West Cork. A truck driver is wanted for a 7.5 tonne lorry in the Fomoy area. You need to have a full C licence. You'll find all the details and many, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. <laughs> Chris here from Audi Cork. Our annual demo and used car sale is on the way, with combined savings of over €250,000 across the Audi Approved Plus range. Starts Thursday, May the 20th, opens Sunday, May the 23rd, 12 to 4 pm. The annual demo and used car sale at Audi Cork, Bannon Road Roundabout, AudiCork.ie. 
Right, Sal, I'm not letting you out of my sight. Let's do this together. I need new kitchen tiles. Gotcha. I am focused. I'm ready. Wow, look at the selection of laminate. Oh, 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 the timber flooring, it's to die for. Focus, Sal. OMG, I can't cope with that bathroom wear. It's so beautiful. I can't believe it. she's gone again. Lose yourself in great quality and value at Del Forno Tiles and Timber, Kinsale Road, Cork and the Red Cow Interchange, Dublin. This is the sound of electrician Eamon bossing his expenses with Sage. Snap your receipts on the go. Boss it. Try for free at sage.com. Terms and conditions apply. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now the ransom demand by the hackers from the HSE could be as much as $20 million with authorities saying it could be a week until all systems return to normal. Ronan Murphy is CEO of Cork-based Smart Tech and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Ronan. Good morning. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, you've dealt with these type of criminals before. What, what is your view on paying the ransom demand? Um, I don't advocate for paying it. I mean, you, look, you have to remember that paying it is the easy way out and you're funding organised crime and it's, uh, it's a terrible thing to do. But at the same time, you need to be pragmatic and um, you need to look at the situation and you need to ask yourself some very uh, serious questions. And they are that we're in the midst of a global pandemic. The health service has been brought to its knees. I think you're looking at a number of weeks of um, disruption uh, to get the systems uh, back and operational. And then there's obviously the very uh, serious concern that a large amount of data has been stolen and the gang who are responsible for this are notorious for dumping that data and making it public um, if they don't get their demands met. And uh, all of those have very, very serious implications for the health service, very serious implications for the citizens of Ireland. And um, overall, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible situation uh, to find themselves in. Do you fear that this could be the start of a wave of attacks on Irish public bodies? Uh, there's, there's attacks every day. There's, there's 4,000 attacks every day globally. There's someone caught with this stuff every every 10 seconds in the US. Um, I think some public bodies are better protected than others. People, Departments who have invested in the, the tools and the technology and the infrastructure have a significantly less chance of getting hit. Um, organisations who haven't invested, uh, conversely, have a much higher uh, percentage chance of getting hit. And have we not invested? Is that our problem? I think, well, it's, I think it's evident from what's happened with the HSE yeah. that they, um, they haven't had the adequate uh, investment to, to protect themselves. And look, this is a very unfortunate situation. These guys are scrupulous criminals. And I mean, who the hell does this to a health service in the midst of a pandemic? But this did happen in the US to universal health services in September and 250 hospitals were knocked offline and their data was stolen. So, I mean, the blueprint was there that, you know, the potential for for this could happen, you know. And when you say that they dump the data onto, uh, it's it's onto the dark web, what does that mean? What are the implications for people? So, depending on the profile of the data, the implications can be very serious. Um, if the data is contains personal information, it contains health records, it can contain financial information, 
they will sell it to the highest bidder and the highest bidder will do what they do with that data. Uh, it all depends on the profile of the data that was stolen. Nobody knows what that profile of data is. Uh, but the consequences of data being exfiltrated and taken off site and harvested up by other criminals can have, obviously, it's the nature of the beast. It's a very serious situation to find yourself in. And now I know that there's no indication that they're even considering paying the ransom or that, that that's what we, we were being told. But if they did decide to pay the ransom, Ronan, can these guys be trusted that they would decrypt the data? I probably dealt with 50 of them in the last couple of years where we've been, the, we've been involved in the negotiations where uh, there's been transfer of funds to uh, release keys to decrypt data and return data. Uh, in every occasion, it has been successful. Uh, we've never had a su- situation where it has not been successful. Um, it's a t- terrible process to find yourself involved in. It's blackmail. It's extortion. It's There's no guarantee that it will work. Um, we have been very fortunate where the ones we've been asked to assist in, it has been uh, successful on all occasions. Well, successful insofar as they got their data back or they decrypted their data. Um, not so, so successful insofar as they had to pay criminals, uh, large sums of money. But there's no guarantee. I mean, you could pay the money and there's absolutely zero guarantee that it will work. So um, I think what is important to say, though, is these are organised crime syndicates. And I know I sound completely bonkers now, but they have a reputation to uphold. They have a brand that they need to maintain. They want to be seen as professional. And therefore, they invest in customer service and they they provide after sales service when oh you know to decrypt your data and get it all back up and running so i mean they they take it very seriously it's big money it's um these guys are making millions and millions of dollars monthly it's bizarre um, it, it 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 is really really bizarre it's all it, it's a business i know they're criminals but they look on it like a business it's an entire business. It's an entire business with an ecosystem. There's many different participants in these types of crimes. And there's, there's a common misconception that it's just one gang. Now, it is one gang who are looking for the payment. But, I mean, there's a ton of moving parts to get to where they got to. I mean, it may, be, may have been one gang who initially got access to the HSC. They may have sold that access in on a, on a marketplace, in a forum, to another gang. That gang may have been the guys who built the software Conti which was the ransomware or they may be someone who's buying that as a service from the manufacturers with a support guarantee and then they may have been the ones who committed the crime um, it, it, all fingers are pointing at a gang called Wizard Spider um, so the, I mean you could have up to three different gangs involved in committing this type of crime it's, 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 a, it's a bloody hard one to deal with for, for, for anyone who's a victim of it you know and when you've dealt with um, them rolling over the years, what are they like to deal with? Um, I mean, they're human beings. They're sometimes they're nice. Sometimes they're 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 obnoxious. Um, I mean, I've had some crazy exchanges with them over the years. I mean, I I, I was talking to Claire Byrne last night, and I was telling her, well, she asked me a story, and I I don't mean to make fun of this or make light of it, but. It was just an unusual situation to find yourself in. We paid a large sum of money to uh, to um, one of these gangs, and they were in Saint Petersburg in Russia. And it was on the fourth of December, and they went dark after we transferred the funds, and um, kept trying to reach out to them to ask them, you know, what's going on. And eventually, they came back and they said, "Look, 
or uh, were Orthodox Christians, our Christmas Day is on the seventh of January. The leadership team are all celebrating, and there's nobody here to give us the green light to you know give you your your data back. So I said, oh, well, when will they be back? And they said, well, they'll be they'll be finished their celebrations in two days, and we'll get the green light for you then. And sure enough, they they, they came back and they gave us the data. But I, w- one thing always stuck out in my mind where they said to me, um, which country are you in? And I said, I'm in Ireland. I said, oh, I love Ireland. I've never been there, but I'd love to visit. You know, you've you great Guinness. I said, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're more than welcome. Let us know when you're coming. And then they said, uh, they said, is the company that we got, is that in Ireland? I said, no, that's actually in Australia. So oh, I'd love to go to Australia too, Bondi Beach. And I remember this is completely bizarre, having this this conversation with a guy who's holding a, an entire business to ransom and blackmailing them for, uh, you know, obscene amounts of money. Um, which is, I mean, that's just an, an unusual story that sticks out in the many Incredible. Like and yet the businesses that you worked with, uh, Roland, that paid, they paid because if they didn't, it would cost them tens of millions more to fix it themselves. Is is that the theory? Yeah, there's a couple of, there's a couple of facets that would have uh, driven their decision making in this, right? Um, number one is they obviously hadn't made the investment themselves in terms of getting their own systems up to scratch so that they could advert this type of um, attack happening. So they, you know, they, they, they hadn't made that investment. Um, number two, they would have had a pretty bad fallout from regulatory bodies who would have fined them for, you know, various different regulatory mandates that like GDPR, for example. Um, number three would have been that they may have had some of their trade secrets stolen, like intellectual property or you know, whatever gives them their competitive advantage to make them better than their, their their competitors. And the third one, or fourth one, may have been that they literally were going to go out of business because their entire company was gone. You know, all of their backups, all of their data, all of their payroll, all of their HR was gone. Um, so so the, and number five, they, they, they were worried about the data being publicly dumped and whatever impacts that would have had. So there was many different factors that drove their decision-making. I want to be clear, with all of them, I tell them not to pay don't pay, it's a bad idea. You know, they may, might not give you the data. There's a million things that can go wrong. Um, for whatever one reason or another, they determined and decided they would pay. Um, but it's a terrible, terrible situation to find yourself in. Mm. Horrible. And, and you're funding organised crime, by the way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but the debate should be had. And if they come in, if, I mean, there are, it depends on uh, wh- what you're reading and who you're hearing it from. There's talks it's between 20 and $25 million is what they've looked for. Is that their opening figure? And do you negotiate then? Yeah, you negotiate. It would cost about five, in my opinion. Um, I've done this quite a bit. I, 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 I estimate it would cost about five million. Um, they, their opening bid is, their opening bid is, I think it's about 19 million. Um I think I, I think they'd walk away for for about five. So I mean, you gotta look. It's never good. You don't want to be giving five million dollars of taxpayers' money to to to, to these hackers. Yeah. But you know, it's it's you really gotta you, you gotta look at all aspects. Look at there's people looking for dialysis and chemotherapy and yeah, cancer treatments, yeah. and, and they can't get it because the system is down. The system is down because. You know, these guys have been successful in infiltrating it and maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely worth considering at least. And are they know. absolutely impossible to trace? Because people, you know, people have this theory, if you're paying a ransom, go after them and you, you'll follow the money and you'll be able to catch them. They're impossible to trace, are they? Um, they're not impossible to trace. I mean, we know they're Russian 
they're, they're Russian gangs. Um, we know that they have, to a degree, they have a, to a degree, there is the protection of the Russian state, right? Um, they, the problem is people think it's one gang. That's, there's one gang who got the payment, but it's potentially a mixture of several gangs who were successful in conducting the operation. They're very well-funded organized crime syndicates. Um, there sometimes there can be a degree of a symbiotic type relationship with the state, which affords a degree of protection. Um, so, I mean, you hear people saying, look, we're going to get the army and the guards and so forth involved. But look, I mean, being realistic, what chances do our army or our, or our guards have of rocking into either Russia or North Korea and saying, hey, give us our five million yeah, back? I, I mean, being realistic about this. And then the Ireland's National Cyber Security Centre. Do we need to look at that and do we need to make sure that it has the full expertise to deal with an incident like this going forward? Um, I, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, look, you're never going to... You, if you don't get the basics right, it doesn't matter how many cyber security centres you have. If, if, if You have to look at every every government department or organization in in its own individual silo because they're not all connected they're all individual right some are very good this fantastic investment in security and they haven't been a victim others are not so good and unfortunately because they haven't made the investment they haven't taken it seriously they've got the issue so probably what's needed i would say is that i mean if you want the best example you follow the u.s what the U.S. have done, the Department of Defense in the U.S., is they've introduced a new regulation called CMMC. And what that means is that it's cybersecurity maturity a model. And what that means is that every organization has to be able to, to, to clearly show they've made the correct investment in cybersecurity so that they don't fall victim to these type of, type of hacks. And if that regulation was brought in, some similar type of regulation, organizations would be forced to take this seriously. Um, and they would have to, be, if they didn't, if they weren't able to demonstrate that they'd taken the, the necessary precautions, they would find themselves subject to a fine or whatever it might be. So I think I think you need to look at it from a regulatory standpoint. I mean, yeah. it's fine to put in a cybersecurity uh, department, but the truth is, what can they do? Every department is ubiquitous. Every department is a standalone entity, and they need to look at. They need to get their own house in order. And it, you know, if this isn't enough of a wake up call, then you have to double down on it with regulation. And that's what the US have done. And I would be a big advocate for following that type of model. Liam says, "Did the virus protection not work on the computer network within the HSC?" The problem with this is you've you've got two types of attack, right? You've got the type of attack where it's automated. It's like going into a fire, right? Sorry, into a forest and lighting fire and running away, and the fire goes up in in, in smoke. Okay, this was a different type of attack insofar as it was human driven. So it wasn't an automated attack like a virus that just ran through the network. Um, these guys had a foothold in the network through a, a user. More more than likely, a user clicked on an email. When they clicked on that email, they gave them access to the network. And this was pretty innocuous, right? It wasn't that, it was, it's not the crime of the century when they got in. It just meant that there was a little uh, a connection into the network. What then happened is they would have escalated it internally within the gang 
to a far more sophisticated bunch of hackers who had the ability to subvert any antivirus, right? And they would have run a thing called a cobalt strike beacon. And that cobalt strike beacon provided the external access to the network and it allows them to, using a bit of terminology, move laterally within the network, identify the data that is valuable to them, identify the assets that they want to attack, and then they would have executed the Connet ransomware. So they, they would have, they would, actually, before they executed the ransomware, they would have taken a copy of whatever data they want, then they would have executed the ransomware. So the, the, the problem is, is that because it was human-driven, it was a more sophisticated mm. attack and, and basic... These, these guys know what they know what they're doing. They do. They yeah, do. Basic, yeah. basic antivirus would not have caught it. Um, um, you know, they, 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 they had their ways around us. Yeah, and Colin wants to know, uh, he's astounded that the HSE don't have everything backed up in the cloud. Uh, but the, the problem is they've stolen the information. You're spot on. So, so you see, you, you, the problem you have here is this is really important. If we were having this conversation 12 months ago, I would be saying to you, as he said, uh, Colin, is it? Colin yeah, said, Colin and Butterfin, yeah. Yeah, so as Colin and Butterfin said, I would be saying to you, Colin is right. Have a backup. If they encrypt it, just restore your backups and off you yeah. go. Happy days. But this is a completely different conversation. This is what we call the double extortion conversation. Yeah. When these guys got in and when they subverted the antivirus, they identified the data they want, they stole the data. What they then did is they went after the encryption of the systems, the data, the systems, things like Active Directory and so forth. So you're, 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 you're in a situation now where there's the potential for data leak, but there's also the systems are down. And then you're also in a situation where you need to deliver primary care and you know dialysis and chemotherapy and all the other things that go with being a hospital. So it, 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 it's definitely not cut and dry. It's a very bloody complex situation. Um, uh, it, it, it definitely isn't just the case of, of backups, unfortunately, in, in this scenario. Yeah, I was reading about a hospital in uh, Texas back earlier in the year where, where the same thing happened and they ended up dumping patients' names, insurance details, medical so records. Since, everything since, was was dumped online. Yeah, so since 2019, this ga- well, there's three gangs primarily, but they've dumped 2,100 data sets. Um, and, and what they do with data sets is they sell them to kind of they harvest them, so they chop them up and they sell all the juicy bits to different people that want them for their, their different purposes. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, look, it depends on the profile of the data. they got hope, look, fingers crossed. It's, yeah. it's, it's data that's not overly valuable. A, nur- a nurse has contacted the programme to say everything has been affected uh, within the HSC. Staff worked right across the weekend to try to salvage details to see if anybody can get scans this week, the ones that have to be cancelled. Ronan, you're an absolute mine of information. Are you, are the government looking to guys like you for advice? So we provide, um, we provide security to a number of hospitals um, and I mean, I'm blown away, absolutely blown away by the shift that they're putting in. And um, they're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as are my own team in, in Cork and across Europe. And I'm, I mean, they're doing a phenomenal job. We're not directly working with the HSE, um, but we're working with, with, with aspects of, of well, as I say, we're working with aspects of them in terms of some of the major hospitals and 
thankfully, um, they all seem to be in a relatively well good place. Well done. And actually, that nurse was saying that uh, workers who have got a work mobile phone have been told to switch them off and to keep an eye on their own personal phones uh, as well uh, if they use their personal uh, phones for work. OK. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit left going. This yeah, report. there is indeed. Listen, Ronan, really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us uh, today. Thank you for that. And thanks no for joining us. Good morning to you. Uh, right. Bye bye. Uh, there's a guy in the know that is uh, Ronan Murphy, who is CEO of Cork based Smart Tech. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Which is something completely different because a really beautiful book landed on my desk this week called Thrive Summer Outdoor Nature Activities for Children and Families. And joining me, the author, who is early years educator Gillian Powell. Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning, Patricia. And, uh, it's lovely to talk well, to you Well, listen, today. it's great to talk to you and thank you for sending on uh, the book. You, it, There's four books in this series. I just happen to have the summer one. You've got one for each of the seasons. Regardless of the weather, do you believe nature is the best playground? I absolutely believe nature is the best playground and research says that as well. I think if your listeners were to think of their favourite memory from childhood with their parents or grandparents, um, I think they would remember something that happened outdoors. But what I learned as an outdoor educator, as an early years educator, was that it's a fantastic place to fire children's imagination and help their ad- uh, development. So in Thrive, I've included some activities that are easy and fun, but across a range of developmental areas they will help parents and grandparents to fire their children's imagination, develop their interests and their thinking skills. But most importantly, it will put a, a real, real solid foundation under, under their mental health and well-being for their whole lives. And I think, you know, parents were saying to me over the years, why don't you give us a few ideas? You know, my I, I can see that the children are so engaged here. You know, over the years, if I had, uh, I put a lot of equipment into my school, but snails were by far and away the most <laughs> intriguing thing that children ever looked at. You know, they spent hours watching how they moved. We did art activities around it. We developed mathematical concepts of slow and fast. So the book is full. Thrive is full of those little ideas for you to connect with your children out of doors. Because do you worry that today's children spend too much time indoors and and we as parents are responsible for getting them out? I think so. I mean, look, I'm not in the business of kind of, it's it's a hard life out there for parents now. And you might be, and that's why I wanted to make the book so accessible. You know, I think sometimes when people think of the outdoors, they think, oh, you have to be fit enough to climb Mount Everest or or that you have to have equipment like coming out. But this is simple. Pop it in your backpack. Make sure, obviously, in Ireland, you do need the raincoat and pull-ups and the flask of tea. I, I, that, that's been my trick. And, uh, Patricia, there is something now that people are calling a nature deficit disorder. Um, fortunately, in Ireland, I'd say very few people 
suffer from that because we have such beauty and landscape in every town, village, and even in city in Ireland. But I think we have to be conscious of making sure children get that connection developed. And that's why I'm passionate about this. I've always been passionate about this. So this is a new way of bringing this to people. Thrive is available in local bookstores, the summer edition. Autumn will be out. I'll be back on again, please God. And uh, I'd like to offer to give a couple of books away to your listeners as well. So I'll pop those in the post for you because... I think parents are very conscious about the the whole outdoor, uh, they're conscious of it. But children are sometimes, you know, need a little bit of encouragement. And but, do you, I, but do you not think that was one, If I'm always trying to find a plus from this uh, pandemic and w- when we were restricted to five kilometres within our own home, the amount of people that I heard say that they discovered places within 5K of their own home that they never knew existed, particularly people who were children and wanted to get them out for walks, wanted to get them out for a bit of exercise. It's all on our doorstep. Absolutely. And I think it was, as you say, the small blessing from the pandemic. And the next step now is to engage the learning out there. You know, across, I've got, I included little activities. If your child is interested in creating, there's creative activities in Thrive. If your child is interested in stories, I've shown a way to kind of connect with storytelling and taking that outside. Maybe your listeners would remember a time a, a, a teacher took children out to listen to a story. Um, it was the one highlight of, a, of the, the hard summer in the classroom. And I think teachers are more aware of that nowadays. And so, as you say, our parents. I think that children have an absolute fascination with learning outside and learning about their natural environment. But sometimes parents don't realise those learning opportunities are there. Or, um, But I think the pandemic has definitely helped that. I've also included a little bit about healthy eating. And I think summer is the ideal opportunity to kind of make that fun and make picnics fun. So, as I say, those little ideas, very easy. All of these ideas work. Over my 32 years... You know, I know the things that fire children's imagination in the outdoors and parents are seeing that now, you know. Well, you've they're taking them for their 5K walk. Yeah, you've certainly captured it in, in the books, in, in, in your book. And uh, I'm a big fan of the fairy doors and you have a whole section on fairies. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Fairies and wild things, they were always the number one. And, you know, you can develop that. That really helps. I think the fairy doors in West Cork, we've been so blessed with the woods that have developed the fairy door. It has captured children's imagination and their whole sense of play and, uh, you know, uh, pretending to be this. I think they can enter that world, that world of nature, every every door to that world. For it's It's a lifetime skill that will never leave them. Yeah, we, I have some fairy doors and little fairy things in, in my garden. And whenever we have smallies, there's always a bit of magic that they, the fairies manage. Just when the children are standing there, they turn on this little water feature. And uh, it's just fascinating to watch children so believing in the magic glorious. of it. it. It is just lovely. And you know what I loved about your book, um, Gillian, when I was flicking through it? I love the photography that's contained in it. And it just struck me as I was looking through it for the smallies who, who have can't even read 
to be able to pick up the book, they can look at the pictures and say, can we do that? Can we look at this? Can we make this? Exactly. Well, actually, it heartened me. That was that was the idea. And that's why I divided the book into seasons as well, because that's exactly what I, I wanted to be a connection with nature, but a connection with families as well. And one mom was telling me that she wouldn't she would be the first to admit that she wasn't the most outdoorsy person and would prefer to sit on the couch, but that her daughter said, No, we've got to we've got to make this fairy garden now. Come on out we'll do it. So that's what I want. I want that level of engagement. Pop it in the rucksack and and look at your local uh, you know, even a part of a park or your local wood and and decide, Oh yeah, we'll 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 try this so that was exactly what I hope will happen, that families will do this together and create those treasured memories that we all have of our childhood out in nature with our parents. And I'm sure your listeners could, will text in with lovely memories. It would be lovely to hear some yeah, of the of, memories. Of, th- of things, yeah, things you did as a child. And you are right, even when you were, when you were talking, I, was, uh, I straight away remembered a, a picnic that turned into a kind of a nature walk that I did with um, my mother and my siblings and the fun that we had on that particular day. And my, and my father had passed, uh, had passed away when I was uh, very young. And I remember a frog jumped into my mother's shoe and she'd said, that's your dad's spirit. He's coming to tell us he's here at the picnic. And I, I, would, I would have been very young at the time, maybe five I or know. six. But it's a I memory know. that sticks out in my mind. And it was a beautiful summer's day. And, you know, and I was just saying earlier today when we were, we were kids, they'd, oh, the sun always seemed to be shining. I'm sure it wasn't. But that's part of, a part of your memories. And, and you don't think the weather should act as a deterrent? Not at all. I think it's getting the clothing right. And I, I know that, you know, before, in the last decade, in, when, in our setting, we used to get them out in the rain. It was their favourite time. They would get, we had changes of clothes. They would jump in the rain. They'd dance in the rain. They'd jump in puddles. <laughs> and it was, the joy is, is a treasured memory. And uh, that's such a beautiful story about your dad. Yeah. And, and yeah. the handsome prince and frog that, that I think everyone has one of those poignant stories uh, in their background. And, and, you know, um, I'd love to hear more of the listeners' ones, I'm sure. But that's, that's, I think you'd be winning the book if I was giving a prize for that. That's an amazing story. Hey, so, and um, I haven't thought about it in a long time. It was just when you said it, it was the first thing that came to mind. I can nearly tell you the colour of the little dress I was wearing that day. It's, it's just it's one of the things that's, uh, that stands out. And something else you're doing in the book that I've taken up with uh, my special needs daughter, we took it up during, certainly during lockdown, painting stones has become a big thing in our house. So my garden now is full of these wonderful, brightly coloured stones. It's a fantastic thing to do with children. It's an amazing thing to do with children. And they love it. And I think it's the element, like, you can remember the fog. Like, children are absolutely hardwired to natural things. You know, if you give them a stone or a stick to paint, it seems to become one. And one of the things that, I again, I was a late convert to was the whole importance of the sensory experience in nature, you know, even to get somebody to shut their eyes and just feel the moss, all of that just brings it to a different level. But I think, um, I think we are, you know, we're so blessed in Ireland to have so much of the beauty around us, the sensory experiences children have 
all of that is in this book Thrive and you can get it at your great local independent bookstores. That's exactly what people are asking. Where Where is the book available? It's available for me personally and I pop on my email to you and it's available in local bookstores and on Amazon worldwide as well. Okay, and it's called Thrive Summer Outdoor Nature Activities for Children and uh, Families. What about autumn, winter and spring, Gillian? Absolutely. <laughs> autumn, will, uh, autumn will be out on the... First uh, of September okay. and winter uh, will be in November and then spring and um, uh, you know I'm I'm looking forward to I know I've had books with all all of the series I don't want these to be ones that are up on a bookshelf I want them to be popped in the rucksack and children looking at them uh, pointing out the pages well thumbed um, fingerprints the all table. over them and bits of food dropped into them exactly and well worn well, well worn you well sound worn like you've really enjoyed the experience of uh, publishing the books Gillian absolutely I worked with Orla Kelly and she's been amazing and I'm I mean I've been it's a work now not of a pandemic of the last I suppose four I've been collecting these ideas but I, I'm loving it uh, early years educators are loving it and I hope parents and grandparents, the ones I've sold it to already, are really delighted with Thrive and they're thriving with it. They love the word and that's what I want. I want parents and families and to connect and remember those, you know, create the precious memories that we all have of our childhood. They will last with us as a solace and beauty for the rest of our lives and we're so lucky in Ireland that that beauty is all around us, you know. In every, in every blade of grass and every stone to paint. Yeah, it isn't the expensive presents that you can buy your children no. or your grandchildren. It's those little experiences. It's, it's a beautiful book. We wish you luck with it. And I look forward to talking to you again in September when <laughs> Thrive Autumn comes out. Uh, Gillian, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning, Good morning. to you. Bye-bye. There is an early educator, Gillian Powell from Bandon. The book called Thrive, Summer Outdoor Nature Activities for Children and uh, Families. It really is a delightful book. Uh, we wish her luck with it. I was speaking with Gillian Powell about her book. Someone says, well, could you repeat the name of the book? The book is called Thrive and it's available from all, she has it in all independent uh, bookshops and you can also get it on uh, Amazon as well. It's published by Orla Kelly uh, Publishing. And in the book, they, there's one of the activities that she talks about is painting stones and I mentioned I've been doing it with Marsha throughout the lockdown and the garden's full now of gorgeous painted stones. Uh, somebody, uh, this is Margaret in Bantry says, Patricia, talking about painting stones my son painted these two, these two stones and she sent down a picture, 25 years ago, I love them and I still have them and they're two round flat stones that uh, Margaret's son who was only a little lad, I imagine, at the time, 25 years ago, made into ladybirds. And would you believe, Margaret, in the book, Gillian's book, the example that she uses for painting stones is almost identical to your son's ladybird stones. It's a picture of a ladybird stones uh, on a stone and he's painted it black, red on the back, the black little dots on it and he's put lovely happy smiley faces on it and what a gorgeous thing to have 25 years on. Actually some of the stones that I've been doing with Marsha, I date the back of them and then put them into the garden in the hope that in years to come uh, somebody might find them and actually a friend of mine in England sent me on a stone that he found in Oxford and it's a Facebook page that paint stones and then they put them out and they 
idea is that you find them and then you pass them on. You can either keep them yourselves or you pass them, hide them somewhere else. And the theory behind it is you post it up on their Facebook page. And I posted up on the Facebook page that one of their stones had arrived in Ireland and they were thrilled. And even the person who had made the original stone, who had painted it, made contact on the Facebook page to say she was thrilled that it had made it all the way uh, to Ireland. So it's a lovely thing. And you see a lot of that out in nature now, people painting stones and leaving them for other people. It's it's and it's a, a very uh, inexpensive hobby and it will keep children and adults amused for hours. 1850 We're going to take a break. We've news at 12 midday on the way. In the next hour, we're going to be previewing the Eurovision Song Contest. It's on tonight. Semi-final number one and Ireland taking to the stage. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about the cyber attack in the last hour uh, with Ronan Murphy, a man very much in the know who's dealt with these cyber criminals. I thought it was just fascinating listening to him talking to these Russian criminals. And some, while he hated having to pay over ransoms, some companies reckoned they had no other choice but to pay. And I saw one company in America who was asked for a small enough company. They were asked for a million dollars in ransom and they refused to pay it but it then cost them 10 million in order to rectify the problems that have been caused by the cyber attacks so it's a real tough balancing act and I know in certainly in this country the Irish government are adamant that we don't deal with criminals and we're not going to pay the ransom but ultimately what is it going to cost the country to get the HSE back up and running? Now Mary is a HSE worker and she said they're worried obviously as workers will they be getting paid? So she said she got on to the wages department uh, this morning to see will the pay of HSE workers be affected and she said the answer back was it might be as they don't have computer records and they don't have the facilities to transfer payments so that could become an issue. I mean I'm assuming that HSE workers get paid monthly are they due payment at the end of the month so it's something that maybe it'll be sorted out before the wages are due but obviously that's another headache for the HSE and then Joan in Glanwood says Patricia I'm wondering will social welfare payments be affected with the uh, a cyber attack I get paid a disability allowance I get it on a Wednesday any information would be uh, great no Joan I've heard absolutely nothing about social welfare I remember the cyber attack wasn't on the department of Social Welfare. The cyber attack was on the Department of Health and it was on the HSE so I haven't heard anything but obviously if something like the Department of Social Welfare was targeted my goodness the knock on effect of that would be unreal so no you're okay to you'll get your payment tomorrow thank God and then on we started the programme this morning where people were having problems with mobile phone coverage and broadband and in particular the three network we had some calls in about the three networks so we said we'd get on to them because it was it seemed to be in the McCroom area there was one listener in particular was saying no coverage when they were at home but as soon as they went down the road they had coverage so it looked like some kind of a black spot in the area. So we got on to three to ask them and they come back to say there are upgrade works happening on the site that serves the McCroom area. Service will be impacted intermittently during business hours. The work is scheduled to be completed by Thursday of this week. The Well they've got Thursday the 21st. Uh, Friday is the 21st so they've just got the date wrong. Anyway they're expecting it 
on Thursday at 6pm to have all of the works uh, completed three we'd like to apologise for any inconvenience caused to their uh, customers so to anybody on three in the McCroom area who's been noticing phone and broadband and having issues with it particularly coming and going losing it's coming and going as they're doing the work during business hours and obviously then evening time it's okay so that's the problem there but it's upgraded work so your service should get better when the upgraded works are completed we've also had a lot of calls in last week regarding a scam call from an 083 number and I was looking for people's PPS uh, details. Well, a number of calls this morning to say these scam artists are back again. The Department of Social Protection once again have issued a warning to people about this scam call. It's from an 083 341 If you answer the call, it's a recorded message advising suspicious activity linked to your PPS number and that a lawsuit will be filed against you. I mean, straight away, when you'd hear that, we wouldn't use that terminology, lawsuit will be filed against you. You should get suspicious straight away. But if you get that message on your phone, just completely ignore it and uh, delete it and try if you have a smartphone try to block the number if you can as well so it's 083 341 keep a look out for that number please it is a uh, scam now other calls coming into the programme just on vaccines hi says a listener do you know hi Patricia can I get a vaccine while I'm on antibiotics for a throat infection thanking you uh, I I know when I got my vaccine on Saturday, they do ask you how you're feeling. So obviously you're going to need to tell them that you're on a vaccine. I did a quick Google search there just to see if I could get any information directly, say, from the HSE. What I have spotted online is there is no influence or interaction between antibiotics and COVID-19 infections. So when indicated, antibiotics may be taken at a time relative to COVID-19 vaccine administration. I did see in from England, from the NHS in England, that uh, they, one of the, their checklists for COVID-19 uh, vaccines is if somebody is taking antibiotics, they do not withhold the vaccination the person can still get the antibiotics. I just can't find anything on short notice from the HSE. But what I would suggest you do is turn up for your vaccination and obviously you will be asked how you are feeling and you can tell them you have a throat infection and that you're on an antibiotic. But let's put it out there because I'm assuming you're not the first person that's going to turn up for a vaccine that's on an antibiotic. So did anybody go for a vaccine and were you on an antibiotic and did you say to the nurse you were on an antibiotic and what happened? I'm, I'm assuming... If you'd been sent home, I'm assuming we'd have heard that. We'd have heard from people warning others that if you're on an antibiotic, you can't get a vaccine. But I certainly haven't heard uh, anything. So anyone who went to get this, we, we want to hear from people who went to get a vaccine already on an antibiotic. Uh, what happened, please? 1850 333 And one of the couples that contacted us last weekend from North Cork that was travelling to the city to get vaccines. Remember the 2,000 people that were called from North and West Cork on Saturday and Sunday uh, and their appointment was three hours apart and when they rang the HSC the HSC said we can't, you know, it's an appointment system, we can't do anything about it we can't change the appointment and we were saying to the couples, it's a handful of them we were saying both go up together go in, say, look, I'm due to come back here in three hours' time and see how you get on because we had heard from previous vaccination centres that when that happened to other couples they both got vaccinated uh, together. We had two of the couples come back to us yesterday to say that they did exactly as we had suggested. They went up in the morning, went 
I think in one case it was the hubby was due to be vaccinated in the morning and the wife was due to be vaccinated in the afternoon and when they both presented they got vaccinated at the same time so as predicted I knew they would try to help out people. I just think when people rang the HSC they couldn't change it within the system but people did manage to get vaccinated which was great and then we've heard from where is this text that came in earlier from Mary McCroom. Mary is 69 and she has refused the vaccine because 60 to 69 year olds are being offered the AstraZeneca. Mary has concerns about AstraZeneca and she would prefer to get the Pfizer vaccine. Now she said her problem is she hasn't seen her family for a year and a half. She would prefer the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, She said there's less of a gap between the first shot and the second shot. You only wait a month and she's got a bee in her bonnet now because she's hearing all over the news that people aged between 40 and 49, that age group, they are being given a choice whether to take the Pfizer with an MRA vaccine. They're going to be offered AstraZeneca, they're going to be offered Johnson & Johnson, but people in the 40 to 49 age group are being given a choice. If they don't want the AstraZeneca or the Johnson & Johnson, they can opt instead to wait for the Pfizer or Moderna. And she thinks that's unfair. On the 60 to 69 year olds, she classes herself as in a very vulnerable situation. Uh, What worries me is she has an underlying health condition and her own GP is not administered the vaccine. No, the GPs are not administering to the 60 to 69 year olds. I'm assuming you've spoken with your GP about your uh, concerns. I get deeply troubled when I see, Mary, somebody like you, your life has been put on hold because you're not getting the vaccine, that you're not seeing uh, your family members. And I also worry about you when you say you have an underlying condition. The reason why it's different for the 60 to 69 year olds and different now to the advice being given to the 40 to 49 year olds is to do with these very very rare, very, very rare blood clotting events. Remember, the cases are four in a million for the AstraZeneca. And also those very rare blood clotting events, when they first started, they were so rare, they didn't actually know what they were looking out for. Now they do know what they're looking out for. And I don't know if, if God forbid, you were in that four in a million they would know what to look out for and you would you would be treated. The worry with holding off and waiting for what you see is your vaccine of choice is you're putting yourself at higher risk of picking up COVID because remember people that are in the 60 to 64 age group which is slightly younger than where you find yourself Mary are 85 times more likely to die from COVID-19 than they are from a clotting event because of the vaccine. And that's where you've got to weigh, weigh it up. It's an extremely rare event that you would pick up a clot while getting the vaccine. Yet by exposing yourself to COVID and getting COVID, you're 85 times more likely to die from uh, COVID. And remember, if you get COVID, you're at a much higher risk also of getting a blood uh, clot. And the reason that it's different in the younger people, the majority of the cases that were identified for clotting were in younger people. It was mainly people in their 30s. There was some in their 40s as well. So I'm assuming that's why they're erring on the side of great caution has been used in the 40 to 49 year olds. But they're still offering it to them. It's still a safe vaccine uh, to use. So listen, all we, all we can do, Mary, no one will force you to get a vaccine. But my heart goes out to you because your life is now on hold. You should be able to see your family members. And remember, I know one of the other arguments you use is the Pfizer vaccine, you get the first jab and then you get the second jab four weeks later, where with the AstraZeneca, you have to wait uh, three months. 
Remember with the AstraZeneca, and I know this because my own daughter got AstraZeneca, four weeks after you get the AstraZeneca, you're at, I think it's 80% efficacious. So you're then deemed to be as fully vaccinated. You're just going to get the top up uh, two months later and the vaccination bonus that comes with being fully vaccinated, like from the Pfizer or, or any of the other vaccines, that kicks in with AstraZeneca at one month mark. That's why last Saturday, when Marcia's granny came to see her for her uh, birthday, Marcia's grandmother was already fully vaccinated and was gone past her 10 days past her second shot. But Marcia was gone past the four weeks of the AstraZeneca and they were able to hug each other, which which was lovely. So you're missing out on all of that as well, Mary. I would say go back and have another chat with the doctor who may be, may be able to allay your fears about waiting for, I don't know how long, and you are within your rights uh, to wait, but I just don't know how long you're going to have to wait until you get what you deem is the perfect vaccine for you, uh, Pfizer. 1850 Hi Patricia, my husband got his vaccine on Sunday. Mine wasn't due until Monday. I had to go with my husband. I said it got the, I got a lovely lady who took my husband's details and then she said, hold on there a second and she came back and she said, you can get yours as well now. It was a lovely lady. So we both got vaccinated even though they were on two separate days. That's terrific. Well done. Tell you, the people working in the vaccination centres are just, everybody's talking about how nice and how friendly and how lovely they are. They really are. They're just such pleasant, pleasant uh, people. Hi, Patricia. People in the, the marts are open. People were in the ring in Formoy Mart today, said Morris, and they had their masks down under their uh, jaw. I thought this was disgraceful, particularly bearing in mind that it was in Formoy and we know that figures are high in that uh, area. Um, I think the rules should be enforced. People should be forced to wear them. Yeah, particularly in an area where figures are high. Morris said I left. Well, you did I was just before I read the end of your text I was going to say that's what you do if you go into a situation where you're not feeling comfortable at Morris just leave but to everybody else please you've got to keep wearing the mask we keep have to do the social distancing and the hand washing and all of that we are not out of the woods yet and we've already on the programme this morning spoke about this spike in cases in the North Cork area so we just we have to be so so uh, careful and on the cyber attack Patricia since the cervical tobacco cervical cancer tobacco in Ireland a few years ago I started to request copies of all my medical results, blood tests, radiography discs, x-ray reports, all details relevant to hospital and GP appointments. Everyone should be responsible for their own medical files, eliminating the need to store the private data on hospital computers that are then vulnerable to these cyber attacks. I wonder how many more people do that. You actually have all of the files kept at at home. And I wonder if you needed to go in for an appointment now, would that you'd be able to go and say, well, look, I actually have everything here with the acceptors. That's, a, that's an incredible thing to do. And I don't know of many others that do it. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme, here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID 19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. Kildari Home Bingo continues this week. The snowball now stands at 200 euro. Books cost 5 euro and are on sale locally in Kildari and in Thornhill's Opticians and at Myers Maxwell. That's in Mitchellstown. And Skibbereen Country Market, they are back in business this Friday from 11.30 
to 1.30pm Abbey Story Church Hall lots of great produce on offer like cakes, plants, vegetables and crafts please support Kildallery Drive in Bingo that's on this Friday night at 8 o'clock that'll be in the Creamery Yard and St Gubnet's Nursing Home they're holding a bake sale in aid of the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland it will be held on Saturday week 29th of May between 2 and 6pm their stall will be located near Teresa Kelleher's house that's on the Charleville to Ballyagrand Road and if you would like to donate or contribute baking can you please contact Maura at 086 844 844 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. After being cancelled in 2020 due to the pandemic, the Eurovision Song Contest is back with a bang with the first semi-final tonight with 17 countries taking part, including our good selves, Ireland. Our Eurovision correspondent, Johnny O'Mahony, joins me to preview tonight's uh, show. Good afternoon to you, Johnny. Good afternoon, Patricia. I'm very well. And you and I are celebrating our 20th anniversary. You've been doing this for 20 (laughs) years with me. 20 years, Copenhagen 2001. Wow. uh, when I got the call from you first and uh, it's been every year and annually since obviously except last year was a, a bit of a different one but yeah, it's yeah but we years. still chatted last year we about still, it anyway yeah. even though yeah. it was cancelled <laughs> was there huge disappointment last year when the event was cancelled Johnny? Big time yeah there was I know they did a show and they you know they tried to do something but I think under the circumstances at the time it was such a, a, a complication time for in, in everything. And, you know, people weren't prioritising Eurovision. Some people thought it should have still gone ahead. It, was, it would have been impossible. But, um, yeah, there was big disappointment. And especially for acts that didn't get back this year, you know, that knew at that point that they weren't going to be selected again to represent their country. You know, it was a big um, disappointment. And say for, for anybody that is back this year, last year was a big 
um, big letdown to, you know, all the work that went into getting there and then not get there, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and ha- are, are many of last year's competitors back this yeah, year? There's, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, I think there's about two thirds of the selection from last year that are back this year. Uh, some with better, some with worse songs. And, uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen what's going to happen, you know. But, um, yeah, and it just it, as going back to you said, there are 17, there's only 16 countries tonight because there was Arman, Armenia, uh, dropped out um, a few, maybe a few months back, and Belarus were uh, disqualified. So Why? it was one one for me. So their song, it was to, it was their song was political to do with the the rights, not in uh, oh. Belarus. So um, it was it kind of it, it wasn't in line with the with the rules of the competition. So they were given an opportunity to change. And as a result, they would, I don't know the day which are or they disqualified, but okay, they, they couldn't compete with the song they had. So we've only sixteen tonight. Does that mean we're second on stage then? Because we were meant to be after them. No, be, we're number seven. Number seven. Okay, all right. Seven, okay, number yeah. seven. Okay, and um, how will this year's song contest look compared to previous years? It won't know any difference. It's it's exactly the same. Everything has, it's just there's been quite strict, um, I suppose, lock, not lockdown, strict quarantining uh, um, rules for everybody. Um, it's basically... Rehearse back to the hotel. There's there's been very little um, kind of mixing and mingling in in certain cases, but they've all been tested every forty eight hours. Um, if they have a positive test, their accreditation is withdrawn immediately, and they have to quarantine and out of sight. And then there's a timeline to follow. So it's in everybody's interest not to uh, contact uh, COVID to get it and um, be, be basically use a video for their for their performance. Um, last week during rehearsals, you, the Ukrainian singer didn't feel well. She had a test. They all had a test, but it came back negative. Then at the weekend, one of the Icelandic delegation tested positive. So they were all in quarantine. And then there was someone from the Polish delegation tested positive. They were taken out um, and in quarantine. And then Malta and Romania were in the same hotel. So they all had to quarantine, but all came back negative in, in, in the end. And they're, they're um, for Poland and Iceland, they're on Thursday's rehearsal. So they'll be our th- Thursday show. So they'll be OK to perform. But for a time, it seems, you know, that, you know, rehearsals that they had done, that it would be a video would be used for their And that's the backup plan if on the day or the days leading up to it, somebody becomes unwell and gets confirmed with COVID-19. It's tough at that point. Yeah, you're, so, you're not participating. You will participate, but you won't be performing. OK, but you'll still participate. There's, there's a video. Yeah, exactly. that, it's the, yeah all, the, all the rehearsals, during all the rehearsals, they did recordings in the event that something happened that everybody went down they still have a live show I mean Australia did not travel but they're participating they did everything from Australia and it's done on a, on a video and you wouldn't know it wasn't in, in, in <laughs> So they college. haven't even they haven't even sent a delegation No they, no, they everything is as is as if they and even they will have set up a kind of um, a similar seating for the green room area for them <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, to to be, but you know, I'm, I don't mean to be smart or anything here. I don't think that they would qualify for the final anyway. So it would have been a kind of a, been a waste, waste. Or, you know. But but it, it was a big undertaking. And Australia, it's it's to do with the lockdown uh, situation in Australia, not letting people in and out. And it's under you know, you can't just say, well, we're travelling to Rotterdam for Eurovision. It, it's it's not possible. So um, okay. they they're the only country that didn't travel. But the uh, uh, as it is. 
every everyone else now will be able to participate in the semi-finals and the final, provided they're clear of COVID. And oh. if they're if they're not, it'll be their video. Audiences, audience three and a half thousand, I think it is. Oh, for each show, and you know where usually you'd have the the, the ground area of any arena would be full of fans standing and seating or whatever. That's the majority of the the ground floor now is all green room. So all the seating is spread out, it's, you know, socially distanced, um, distanced for everybody. So all this, the majority of audience will be around the arena, kind of, you know, in the, in the tiered seating all around and with some at the front. So those scenes that we, you know, when they panned the audience and everybody huddled in together waving flags. Yeah, there's, that would be very limited. And I, as, as far as I know, there won't be much flags for the simple reason that the, the audience will be based uh, mainly Dutch, I think. You know that there there be a lot of people there. There be a few people there, so there won't be as many um, flags from every participating country. Because people so, haven't travelled. People haven't yeah, tra- haven't exactly, travelled. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. What are you hearing from uh, Rasha Jam? How is Leslie Roy being received? Very good. I mean, she's they, her staging is quite complex. It's it's, um, they, it's I suppose these way to describe it. If anyone remembers Sweden from 2015, that won um, heroes with Manzamalo, it's kind of a similar staging to that. Um, there's lots of, um, I suppose, different movements on stage that she's doing. Um, I think it would be a lot better if she was just standing with her guitar. I suppose her song doesn't it, it doesn't allow that to stand with a guitar and sing. I think it's it's more complex than it needs to be. Okay. Um, I think we'd be lucky to qualify tonight. Oh, yeah. Johnny! I know. I'm disappointed myself because she's she's great and she's she's done a good, you know, done, done her best. But I think there's, you know, I I I'd love to say, you know, when the show is finished tonight, oh, I was wrong. You know, I'm hoping to hear Ireland called out tonight. But if I'm if it's not. It, I won't be surprised because it's a, really. we're going to play. It's a good song, and, and she, you know there's great there's great um what would I say great reaction to it. Lots of people like it, but it, will it draw in the votes? I don't know, and I can't see you see with the jury voting and the telly audience might get it with the telly audience, but I might not get it with the jury. But um, she does, you know, she gives it her her absolute best. But um, you know, there, there's ten songs I think that are better than it. That will, and it's it's goes. ten to qualify, ten to qualify. So even if she's number ten, that's fine. She'll be in the final on Saturday night. But um, it's it, it, it's a tough it's a tough uh, semi to, to qualify in, and I think that's when we don't have the UK voting in this one tonight. So that that could go. I mean, we might have got a few extra votes in that respect, but. You know, it's it's not going to happen. Okay, uh, and it's out of sixteen. We'll keep we'll keep our fingers uh, crossed for her. Um, Iceland, which was the song I thought was going to walk it last year, and of course then it didn't happen. But that song uh, became a TikTok sensation. They've kind of done it again, haven't they? This year, a similar they, song. You know what? When I heard the song, I thought, oh, I was so disappointed because they had they had the most to lose. I think from last year, they had a huge tour. Um, international, like a, a European tour, but it was go- they were gone international. The song is still played on radio today, and from last year. And uh, when I heard the song, I thought, "Oh, this isn't um, this is nothing." But um, from what I hear, their staging and everything is fantastic, and they're up there again. I, with a, with I, a, I a saw, I saw their video. They have a little dance routine and everything, yeah. and it's an easy dance routine to get it's into. Very easy dance. It's <laughs> very. It's, there's something very slick about it, and just the simplicity of it is is exceptional, you know. And uh, I think 
you know, they, it's a whole family. The guy, the, the lead guy and his wife, and she's pregnant with their second child at this point. And his sister and, is there? And his sister yeah. and brother and I think, and yeah. you know, it, there's, there's, a, there's a full crew there. And they've given it every. No, it's just with the, the COVID uh, uh, diagnosis at the weekend. They, they, as far as I know, they will be able to perform live. Okay. And, you know, at least that's that was a big um, concern for the majority of people when they heard Iceland, you know, might be out from a live performance. I mean, it's they, they deserve to be back in there. And as I say, they had the most to lose, but hopefully they have the most to win now again. OK, and the other one that stands out for me is um, Malta. Well, let me tell you, Malta, if Malta doesn't win the whole thing, there's, you know, I can, I can see them running away with it. Um, Destiny, the girl that's singing, she's only 18, but when she was 12, she won the Junior Eurovision. Is she only 18? She's only 18. She won the Junior Eurovision when she was 12. Some singer. When she was, yeah, when she was 14, she won, or when she was 14, she entered Britain's Got Talent. Okay. And she got into the semi-finals and that she, she didn't get into the final. Um, she won the X Factor in Malta. That's ah. how she got into Eurovision too, like for last year. She's got this year. She's um, pedigree when it comes to competitions then. Absolutely. And confidence, oozing confidence and ability. The whole performance is very Beyonce like. But if if Malta don't um don't win on Saturday night I, you know, it, it has every. There, there's something wrong if it doesn't. But you know, they 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 are without a doubt. I think the the favourites and uh, they're singing in last position tonight. And there was a problem, I believe, last night at the um, the jury vote, the jury rehearsal that the last three songs, which were um, Malta, Ukraine, and Romania, there were technical issues, so they performed the second time at, okay. the, at the end of the show. Um, but whether that's a good or bad thing for them, we won't know. But uh, I, I think Malta will definitely qualify and then it depends on where it's in the running to see whether they'll get through or not. But it, it, it's, it's definitely one of the... Yeah, the it's top. one of the top ones. OK, Anthony says good luck to Leslie Roy uh, tonight. I'm actually going to put a bet on Ireland. Good luck with that, Anthony. And, yes. um, uh, so, and this is our North Cork man living in Germany who listens to us online, says Patricia. Hope you're doing OK. Listening to you chatting with Johnny about the Eurovision Song Contest. What smart ass made the decision to allow Australia into this, con- into this competition? It's called the Eurovision Song Contest, not the Worldwide Song Contest test. Uh, can I wish Leslie all the best? I hope she does us uh, proud. It's just because it's such a huge event in Australia, in isn't Australia. it? Yeah. They, they um, televise it every year. Yeah, it's, massive. It's, 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 it's as big as probably I suppose we go back to the 70s when it was big in Ireland and in Europe. And Australia have a huge following for us and they were invited to participate uh, for the 60th anniversary and They've kept it up, you know, and uh, it, it is, it's, it, even though it's Eurovision, it's not Europe. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, so, it's true. But, you know, they, they're within the rules, they've broadcasted it, and one of the, the rules to uh, participate, say, next year, you have to broadcast it this year. So they broadcasted it for many years, and they're they're within the rules. Yeah, to, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and they knew once they got their foot in the door, I heard that from friends of mine in Australia, they just yeah. said we want a leg in and we're never going to leave. Yeah, so I, I knew that. Okay, listen, uh, Johnny, we'll talk to you again uh, later on uh, in the week. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy tonight. And, and here's your, and good luck to the Liz. best of luck to Les. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 And a couple of people asking the Eurovision Song Contest semi-final, where can we watch it? It's on RT2 tonight at 8. Second semi-final Thursday, RT2 at 8. And then the Eurovision Song Contest grand final is Saturday night on RTE1 again at 8 o'clock. And a little bit later than normal because of the Eurovision Song Contest, we go to uh, Joe Heffernan. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we'll run this piece across this weekend, next week, because we want to talk about what is the very serious topic of uh, self-harm. And you have your concerns, Joe, that self-harm and this type of behaviour, particularly amongst young people, will have increased during lockdown and will have increased during the pandemic. Yeah, um, I I think most... um most of the things that can be bad for us, um, we'll call them inappropriate way of dealing with um, anxiety, uh, will have increased uh, during this uh, pandemic because um, yeah, it has affected us all uh, in a negative way. I, you know, I, I've read the odd person um, uh, saying that the, the lockdown kind of suited them for um, I don't know, uh, taking a big long rest out of life, maybe for a while, maybe people who were madly busy. Um, but the great majority of us, the 98%, I would say, um, you know, it has, uh, it's, it's caused us anxiety. It's depression. been tough. Yeah. It's been tough. It, it certainly has. Yeah. So what yeah. is self-harm? How do you define it? Well, uh, the... The ones that I would have come across uh, mostly would have been uh, cutting, where a young person um, uh, cuts him, him or herself as, as I say, a very inappropriate way of dealing with uh, pressure, with anxiety. I was chatting to a young man one time. Um, I was doing... Um, I, I won't say where, it was in a college, and... Um, uh, you know, pebble dashing on a house, that kind of rough um, uh, plastering, yeah. pebble dashing. He used to rub his knuckle along it. Um, to the point of bleeding? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We talked one time as well about uh, trichotillomania, which is um, uh, pulling out hair. Um, or, uh, yeah, yeah, pulling out hair. Um I've come across um, uh, a person telling me, or I could see, that they would uh, pick at the skin on their uh, face mm, to the point of, um, you know, uh, where it would bleed a little. I'm I'm not saying that it would be, you know, scratching, picking, that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, why, why, when you talk with young people who are self-harming, mm. why do they say they do it, and what do they? What do they? It's a release, obviously, they get from it. Yeah, yeah. The 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 person can feel that um, you know that uh, uh, whether it's a distraction from the uh, mental pain of um, uh, anxiety. Um, that kind of like uh, that cutting um, uh, takes away uh, those um, very unwelcome ba- bad feelings. 
or if a person felt um, kind of numb, um, you know, uh, the pain would be, well, I'm alive. I can feel that. Um, uh, it can be a self-punishing thing. It can be like, I deserve this because I've been uh, uh, b- bad in inverted commas in some way. Um so it's um, maybe a person would actually like that would be discovered by a parent, we'll say, or um, uh, uh, um, someone that 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 would um, engage with the person. In other words, like it could be um, a sort of cry for help, um, uh, and uh, I suppose um, if life is completely. It felt to be out of control. Well, this is something I can do, and it's real, and I can see where I have done that cutting. Um, so parents need to look out for it. It's, uh, not, it's not something a young person is going to come and admit, look what I'm doing. You need no. to look. And you will no. be able to see the signs. Yeah, absolutely. And we... Um, uh, I, I did, the reason um, for for this particular subject today was um, I got a message from a parent during the week that their daughter was self-harming and they were very scared and very upset. And um, uh, without being definitive about it, because nobody can be, but usually it is not regarded as um, a suicide attempt. Um, in fact, paradoxically, it can be a person's, um, as I say, inappropriate way of coping with life. So that, in fact, um, uh, it's it's kind of, uh, in a way, it's the opposite um, of suicide. It's like, um, this is my way of coping. I need to do this to get through the day. So there's a long road then um, towards... Um, First of all, understanding uh, why it's going on, some of the things that we mentioned just there. And then that, you know, that a person would talk about um, how life is, you know, what's going on. Um, The COVID wouldn't help anything, um, the lockdown thing. But, you know, um, uh, how how are you getting on with with friends um, when school was normal school, when people were going in all the time, um, you know, uh, people feeling excluded, um, uh, fallings out uh, between people who were friends. Um, you know, these things um, uh, might seem um, sort of uh, uh, relatively small um, in, in an adult world, but like to a teenager... Um, uh, they're huge they're everything they're everything they are the worst so you need to uh, to talk to uh, young people and we are going to give some uh, coping skills uh, next week and and talk about it from uh, parents um, I'm very conscious the parents listening uh, maybe knowing maybe suspicious that their son or daughter is self-harming and not knowing uh, where to go but there are for any young person that's listening there are telephone helplines you would suggest Joe? Oh yeah I I mean um there's Childline, one eight hundred sixty six sixty six sixty six. There's Teen Line, one eight hundred eight three three six three four. Um 
There's Body Wise, 1890 200 244. And uh, there's Suicide Prevention Helpline, 1-800-742-745. Right, there's that... Pieta House. Um, uh, on the top of my head this moment, I, I, I can't recall the number. It's 1-800-247-247. There you uh, go. Pieta House. And yeah. uh, Samaritans, of course, have the one one six one two three. OK, we will come back to this, I promise, uh, yeah. next week. In the meantime, Joe, listen, have a lovely week. And we'll talk and to you. And the same. Talk to you next yeah. Tuesday. Uh, Joe's number can be contacted by mobile 086-834-8145. That's 086-834-8145. On the hacking system, a listener says, I always get paper results of any scans and my doctor always gives me my paper results without asking. I thought that was common procedure, says a texter. And somebody else is warning about a scam doing the round from Bank of Ireland. Contacted the bank. They said it's a scam. They are well aware of it. Please do not give any details to the spurious texter, says our texter. Thank you for that and thank you for joining us this morning. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10 on to the night. Patricia Mester. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.